thank you, Dr. Saunders. Yeah, man. Thank you, thank you for All right, so just a couple of things. This feels like therapy. That's why I got you. Uh, just a couple of things real fast. Number one, um, we understand that if you need to go, that is perfectly fine. Safe haven, trust me. Trust us. If you need to go, you're more than welcome to go if you need to go eat or you got kids to pick up or all that kind of stuff. So, um, Dr. Saunders, I've got a, a list, and I don't know. Um, well, first of all, um, here, we want to go ahead and give you a gift. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I also have a second one, so you have to come back. So uh, I'll be here. <laughs> I'll, I might be speaking to an empty room, but I'll be here. Dr. Saunders, uh, so I don't even know where to begin with all of these, and um, I'm just going to trust that hit on what you can. Okay. Spit out, you know, if you, if you can't address it, um, and, and of course it's got to be timely because mm-hmm. we, we are. Uh, and if I get one that's too big, I'll talk about it next week. That'd be great. That'd be great. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Um, one, there's a collision of sovereignty. This mic is, is cutting in and out. Yeah. Let me grab that. Should I grab that one right there? Ooh. Okay. <clears throat> there's a collision of God's sovereignty and human permission that we feel all day long. God's sovereign, he knows all these things, we're permitted to do real things, and that part of it, man, we don't know what he's doing, which is what's hard to swallow mm-hmm. about the quote that you gave. Mm-hmm. That's a hard quote to swallow. I believe it. It's true. But we feel not that side of it. Mm-hmm. So how do we process that in light of very real fears that we feel? Mm-hmm. As humans, knowing that God doesn't feel those as fears because He knows Plan A, mm-hmm. how, like how do we, how do we process that from a human perspective? And you may say, "Well, Troy, I just drew you a chart." <laughs> um, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, you're talking about how do we, how do we, um, how do we understand free will and God's sovereignty? <laughs> yeah, if you can unmask that in ten minutes, that'd be fantastic. Here Hit record because if He knocks this out of the park, we're gonna make a billion dollars. <laughs> No, just the, not necessarily the so, the sovereignty side, but just the, the free the permission side. Mm-hmm. We feel that is really real. Mm-hmm. That I can choose. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so how yeah. do how do we battle? You can. Okay, talk to. You. Yeah. Um, uh, there's an interesting story. I've talked a lot about Paul today, but there's an interesting story where Paul's on a boat and he's going. Uh, I think ultimately to Rome. He's on the boat with some soldiers and some other people. Big storm comes. Man, the thing is breaking down. And, and they know he's a man of God. They're like, what are we going to do? And, uh, and God lets Paul know that everyone on the boat will be saved if they stay on the boat. And so Paul tells them that, hey, we're good. If you stay on the boat, you're saved. Well, some of the soldiers try to get in a little boat, and they're going to try to sneak off and you know, try to escape. And he says, don't do that, because if you do that, you're going to die. But if you stay on the boat, you'll be saved. So there is a, uh, I think there's a word called compatibilism that, that I'm not going to be able to unpack that completely today. But you do have free will to choose. Yet God is sovereign over those choices, okay? Um, those men could have gotten in that boat and they would have died. Um, if they stay in the boat, they live. So, so 
all of us in this room, we are responsible for the choices that we make. But yet, God is sovereign over those choices and uses them. Okay, so I don't know if I've made that, if I've even muddied the waters worse. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, can, I can be confident in my choices um, that I've put before the Lord because God knows that I don't know. But he wants me to be willing to submit my will to him. God knows I'm pretty stupid. He knows I'm a sheep. You know, we get referred to that a lot. So um, God is going to use the decision. He's going to guide my decisions. And sometimes he allows me to make a mistake. I even like to tell people that God often orchestrates the difficulties and failures in my life. Because he's trying to teach me humility and patience and, and, and how to love my wife and things like that. Um, if I thought that I that everything I did was gold and that I knew exactly how things turn out, man, I, I'd have a, the biggest God pl- complex you've ever seen. So um, I think w- we don't know, but our job, our job is to, is to manage the decisions that we make to the best of our ability. We are responsible for our choices, but we know that your loving Heavenly Father is not going to give you a, a stone if you ask for a piece of bread. Um, so I think you can relax and knowing that God is going to sovereignly use your choices to bring you to where he wants you to be. That's good. That's really good. Okay. So in concurrence yeah. of the two, suffering's real. Absolutely. Yeah. Work on it. Focus on uh, Man, okay. So Jesus was super sad about that, by the way. <laughs> you know, know Yeah. And, uh, or as he looked over Jerusalem or, or over Lazarus, y'all know the story? Man, check your translation on that because Jesus was angry when he was calling out Lazarus' name. Jesus was, is so angry about death, he went to extreme measures to fix it. Um, man, I, I've got this question three times, and I'm going <laughs> to get on to it in just a second. Um, I'm going to avoid it for as long as I can. Hopefully, time will slap out. Um Hey, what do you do if a parent can't fix their kid's anxiety? Bring them to me. <laughs> if a parent can't fix their kid's anxiety, um, well, what do I do about that, or what does a parent do about that? Well, what does the parent? How, what does the parent do if they're trying to help their kid with anxiety? Yeah, and he's just not fixing anything. What What do they do? Uh, never give up. I mean, never give up. Anxiety can last a long time sometimes. Depression, boy, when we talk about that next week, uh, sometimes depression can go on for years. Anxiety can go on for years. But, but our Heavenly Father promises us that that, that pain is going to be used to change that kid into um, something that we can't see yet. So that leads to a next question. What is the line where parental, parental involvement pastoral, community group, whatever, is crossed to where they need to come check in and see somebody professionally? Oh, um, yeah, like, like, and I sort of alluded to this briefly. If the anxiety is becoming, like it's going on for months and months and months, and, and like the kid can't go to school um, or something like that, you know, where it's the kid's failing out of school or, you know, you can't go to work as an adult or something like that. That's when, when it's totally interfering with your life, that's where you, you probably need to up the ante a little bit and come see a professional um, who can really save you a lot of time, 
telling you what, what to do. You know, you can get it from books and the internet, but man, it's so much easier just to, you know, like if, if I got a project to build at the house, I mean, I, you can look at anything on YouTube now, but I'm much better off consulting a professional if I'm going to do any plumbing, you know. Uh, so how do you know when it's time, when it's, when it's really tearing up your life? And you're spending, and it's affecting you for months. That's when you know. Yeah. And, and so maybe this one bleeds straight into that, which is really good. You spend a lot of time, and you even you said at the beginning, this is going to be deeply spiritual. So you hit the deeply spiritual part because you do believe that that's... Go to the clinical side real fast, if you mm-hmm. will, of, yes, it's deeply spiritual. And that is the root. Fix the root. Fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Love that. <clears throat> Can you get into some of the clinical side of, okay, they, they come visit you, mm-hmm. and, and they're saying, okay, I'm, I'm hearing these things, but man, can you help me with some steps mm-hmm. to help with anxiety mm-hmm. in, in a practical sense? Not that that's not practical. No, I know what you mean. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's, let's just pick one. Like, like, do you have a problem in mind? Do you want me to try to... Because my answer is going to be different depending on the hundreds of things you may say. Okay, great. Like, you want a practical step? Let's say you have a bad car wreck and you can't drive anymore because you're nope. too anxious. Nope. Um, I would rather do something that I, I don't have a problem with, but um, OCD. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the other people in the church need to hear about OCD. <laughs> and I would like to... I'd like for you to bless them. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, OCD, I'm, I'm going to try to make this real quick, okay? Uh, let's say that, that I believe that if I don't have this cap on here, that there are poisons going in my bottle, okay? So I always got to keep the cap on, you know, I'm afraid to, to, to let... You have to screw it on seven times to be... Yeah, seven times keeps it pure. It actually says pure, so it's good. Um, okay. Um, and yet I didn't, I don't know if I did it six or seven or eight. I don't, I don't know if I, oh, so I'm just going to do it again. Okay. So I'm getting anxious because I'm thinking my water bottle is contaminated. Okay. OCD. I like to think of OCD as sort of this entity outside of my brain, which it's not really, but just imagine the OCD says, Al, you got an anxiety problem there, buddy. You got it. Your water is contaminated. What are you going to do about that? I would suggest you you fiddle with that cap seven times, and then you'll have the problem fixed. I think, man, that's a great idea. Thanks for the suggestion. Whew. Okay, if I follow the compulsion, the rule you know, that he suggests, then my anxiety goes away. Simple enough, except now I'm, you know, I'm set up for a repeating pattern. You know, Al, you didn't touch that thing seven times before you sat down. And, and so you end up with a real bad routine issue, you know, OCD. Um, so what you got to do is, is be able to not obey what OCD is saying. So instead, I will do it one time, uh, and then my anxiety is going crazy. But I, I, and this is what I would teach you in the office, is not to do what OCD says and just, I'm going to suffer, Al. It takes a lot of courage to, to not do that because now i got contaminated water. Well, about five minutes from now, about ten minutes from now, your anxiety is going to go down. I'm going to teach you some ways to get that to go away without doing what OCD said to do. Okay, and that's a small victory, but you keep on piling up those small victories, and you get and you can overcome that. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Uh, that's the kind of I'm stuff I would. Breathing right now. <laughs> you some water. 
OCD is tough. You focused on the spiritual side again, so the question came, so can an unbeliever ever truly be freed from anxiety if the ultimate answer is found spiritually? An unbeliever who remains an unbeliever? Is that what you're asking me? I'll go yes. Okay. Um, Well, a smart unbeliever an intelligent person who's not who who takes God out of the equation is going to ultimately run into the reality that there is no that that they are not God. Okay, it's just a matter of time. Um, any you know if they think about life at all, they're going to realize that I am totally omni weak, omni stupid, um, and that the world is nasty, and I am completely vulnerable. So. Frankly, I don't understand how anyone who's not a Christian survives very long without being overwhelmed with anxiety. Because if you take God out of the equation, you're in trouble. This is a terrible world. I'm going to leave that one hanging like that. Um, Is it such a thing to pray too much for something? If someone's going through something that's causing them anxiety and they keep praying for answers, um, is that building up more thoughts in their head and, and creating more anxiety? Can someone pray possibly to an unhealthy, um, anxious state? Mm. That is a heck of a question. I mean, I, I guess I would say the first answer to that is no, you can't pray too much because there's plenty of Bible uh References where, where the you know the widow or the the woman who prayed to the judge repeatedly until she received what uh, you remember that you could probably help me with that. Um, th- there's no spot in the Bible that says that 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 stopping praying is a good idea. But the problem is, I think a lot of times we 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 pray. Um, I would say our prayers are not often accurate. Sometimes we're praying. Uh, to the wrong God. Uh, sometimes we're we're angry that God isn't. You know, sometimes we just think we're God and we're trying to get the powerful genie to agree with us. Um, and it's hard to stay. You know, the, the key is staying humble in your prayers and knowing that God has in His hand what you want, what you think you need, um, and He may not agree. And can I truly say that will be done? Or am I going to start getting frustrated with God because God's not doing what I want? Um, and that will lead to a lot of anxiety and anger for sure. Um, so I, I would never tell anyone to stop praying. Goodness. In fact, I don't think people pray enough. I mean, prayer is like 15th down the list of techniques that you would try. But the Bible says prayer should be my first thing I do. But we're, most of us are like, well, I've done everything else. I might as well pray now. Yeah. And then uh, Ian Bounds. Yeah. Prayer is far less about us and getting what we want and more about us coming in line with mm-hmm. us. Uh, that's, is occasional, situational, acute anxiety sinful, wrong, or to be expected? Um, and how do we handle that or speak to that as a Christian? Uh, well, the Bible says. Um, that we're not supposed to worry. 
we're not supposed to be anxious. But I'm so glad that he doesn't put a period right there after saying that. Um, you know, I think it was the verse I read. Um, I'm glad that he continues on and says, he doesn't just say, don't be anxious, period, have a good night. He says, uh, don't be anxious, but instead, do these things. Um, uh, is worry sin? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it is because it's, it's doubting God. Um, can I give a quick illustration? Okay, um, imagine that, uh, that my wife says to me before I leave for work in the morning, hey, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to get Lucy from gymnastics at 6. Can you pick her up? And I look at the calendar and go, yeah, I got it. She goes, oh, thank you. I don't have to worry about that now. Take that off her plate. And then at 9 a.m., an hour later, she texts me and says, you going to be able to get Lucy at 6? And I say, yeah, I got her. At 10, she texts me again, you going to be able to get Lucy at 6? By now, I'm kind of thinking, what in the world? At 11, if she texts me again, I'm calling her. I'm be like, what's up? You know, you don't believe that I can do what I said I'm going to do? I mean, that's really the issue because I've answered that one four times. And she's not going to relax until I show up at the house at 6.15 with the kid in tow? I think that's sometimes how we treat God, though. I mean, I think my repeated, you know, because I don't believe what he said the first time. Now, I'm not dependable like God, you know, although my track record for picking up the kids is pretty good. Um, but uh, I guess that's what I would say about some of that, um, is that my doubts, um, my repeated freaking out moments uh, reveal my doubts about God and my lack of trust in him, just like my, the example of my wife losing trust in me. That leads to another great one, and then we'll get to the bombshell. Okay. Oh, no. Two spouses, and it seems to be this way, right? There's usually one that struggles more than the other. So in spousal relationships, how does a spouse help their spouse who struggles with anxiety far more than they do? And how? what would you say maritally uh, for them and that couple? Mm. Wow. Um, it's probably the same thing that I would say when a client comes into my office about anxiety, because that also would be a mismatch, because I'm supposed to be the professional, so I'm supposed to be less anxious than they are. <laughs> um, uh, just gently, lovingly showing them the truth. And it's so hard not to get frustrated when you're talking about your spouse, because you've heard it for 20, 30 years or whatever. Can you give them some steps? Um, to help the, the anxious the spouse. Just, yeah, and all the people that just giggled are the ones that texted me. So, so, so uh, steps. If, you're, if your spouse just giggled, they're the one that texted <laughs> Steps to help the anxious spouse. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to throw out a word for you. I'm going to call this joining, okay? Um, if you say to me, Al, I'm, I'm really anxious about that. Well, my first thing, before I start rambling on about telling you how to fix that, my first thing is to come over here. See what you see. Okay? I can't, you know, Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening is a fool. Well, I don't want to be a fool. So I got my, my first job as a spouse is to, or a father, is to understand what it is that my child or my wife really fears most. If I don't really understand it, then how am I going to help her? Um, so the first thing I would say, steps for those of you who have that problem, is, is, you know, quit preaching at your spouse and try to understand what their problem is. Most of the time, 
Uh, if, the one, if the person in this case is the woman who's more anxious, guys, they're just smarter than us. So if you really just let her talk and try to understand her, she's going to fix that problem without your help. <laughs> um, join with them. Understand what their fear is. Understand what their problem is before you give the brilliant plan of, well, just do this. Just call them back. You know, tell them I said. Um, I would say that is step one for sure. And maybe that's all the step you need is helping, is trying to understand what your spouse is really struggling with. So they can come in to see you for steps yeah. two, three, four, steps five. Steps through 67. Yeah. What would you say to those um, who struggle with anxiety, who cry out to God um, with their wrong perceptions? Uh-huh. Um, but they feel like they received the silence of God. Yeah, um, you're in good company. That's what I would say. I mean, let's open up the Bible and read Psalms and, and uh, I mean, <laughs> pick a book. Uh, the, the biblical fathers talked a lot about how they didn't understand where God was. Why was God silent? Um, you know, just because, you know, God always comes around. He just doesn't necessarily, his timing's good, my timing is not. But God's timing's not my timing. So uh, I would say, um, what was the actual question again? What would I say they, to? They, they feel like they're receiving. The, they, yeah, they, silence. They, yeah, they address, they admit their. Yeah. Trying, wrong. You know, trying to rise above the problem and, and, and have peace in the midst of it, knowing that God has not abandoned you um, and that he is sufficient for your pain. Um, uh, he's not, his silence doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. Um, sometimes God screams at you in, in his silence, as some author said one time. Um, I would say continue praying, continue um, relying on the Lord, continue asking supplication, um, and, and don't ever stop. Because God's plan is good, even when we disagree. That's hard, though, man. That's hard. Because yeah. in America, there's always a silver lining. You know? I didn't get this. Or, you know, Jalen Hurts. Great example. <laughs> Somebody give me an amen? <laughs> I mean, the guy comes back and wins that SEC championship that year. And it was easy to go, oh, the silver lining. He was injured. Now Tua gets to play, and then Jalen gets to come. You remember that? I watch these games. So many more. Golly, but we, we do probably want to honor the time. And again, if you need to go, feel free to go. That's perfectly understandable. Um, how much do you think spiritual formations affect mental health? And by spiritual formations, I mean spiritual disciplines. Oh. Um, how much do you think prayer, church, fasting, giving, mission, all of the meditation, um, all, all these things. How much do you think they affect mental health and anxiety? Hmm. And then we'll get to the other um, I mean, all those things are fantastic. I mean, all those spiritual disciplines, uh, and, and I'll probably talk a little bit about this next week too. Um, if you, I think you're stacking the odds to be healthy by doing the healthy things. You know, If we look at the life of Jesus and the disciplines that he, I mean, this guy had three years to finish ministry that was going to change the world, and yet he had time for silence and solitude and time to hang out and go fishing with his buddies. 
You know, he didn't come. He walked away from a line of people that needed healing a lot. And he didn't heal the next one. So, you know, what we see in the Bible is that Jesus didn't come on this earth to fix the physical pain and suffering of everybody. He could have done that in one sweeping move, you know. Um, uh, so the spiritual disciplines, all those things, spiritual formations, are, uh, I mean, those are really, really important because how am I going to deal with a problem um, when I'm not strong on the inside spiritually to understand that problem or to, to understand my God? Uh, or like like a parenting example. Um, if I just give rules to my kids and there's no relationship, man, I'm going to get some rebellion big time once they get old enough to take me down or drive away in their car. Um, so, I, you know, having that relationship with my child uh, let, makes the rules make sense. And so I would say the relationship with Christ is key. I mean, fellowship here at the church and, and personal time alone with God. and I mean, all those things are crucial. Um, man, how in the world can you survive in a difficult world without that foundation of, of truth? I just I don't see how anybody could do that. Let me get to the last one. And this one's the bombshell? Oh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> and and, and I'm, look, I'm just going to be honest. I don't really even know how to, how to ask it. And I want to ask it in a sensitive way. But I think when I ask it in said sensitive way, uh-huh. everybody in this room will interpret exactly where I'm headed with it, and then you can just you can just <laughs> deal with it, okay? And I can say that I'm going to talk about it next week if it's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> Is that an option? <laughs> yes, absolutely. There seems to be a very distinct line in the church, and I, I really am asking for God's grace in how to ask this. And I'll get it wrong, but... I'm trusting in God's grace. What is the line of coping and therapy through non-medicinal coping measures and medicine hmm. to treat anxiety? Oh, yeah. That's not nearly as bad as I thought you were going to hit me with. Well, my heart is <laughs> pounding flat out of my chest right now. And it, it, it is a, it's a big question. Sure. Oh, yeah. It used to be a bigger question. That, that question has changed a lot in the last 15 years uh, as medication has become more accepted. Um, and we definitely are going to talk about this next week when it comes to depression, too. But as far as anxiety, uh, and, and we're treating anxiety a lot differently with medicine than we used to as well. So the medicines are different and, and safer. But um, do I believe that medicine is, it, that it's sinful to take medicine? Let me just jump on into that. That's what you want to know. What, I'm not asking this question. I'm yeah. receiving texts yeah. and relaying. I mean, no. I, I, I think it takes a lot of faith to take medicine. I don't think medicine is a cop-out. Um, I think some people use it as a cop-out for sure. No doubt, man. If there's been a medicine that's ever been made, somebody's abused it. So, um, But the appropriate use of medication um, in certain situations is, is, is fine from a spiritual point of view, from Al's point of view, right? Um, I don't think that goes against Scripture at all. Um, uh, I, th- I think God um, has given mankind the uh, science, the ability to create things like the wheel and medication and rockets that take us to the moon, um, if you have a billion dollars. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I, I think uh, the church has is, is is really hammered people who needed medicine for way too long. And it's sad to me um, because I think a lot of people who could have really benefited from medication didn't take it because they thought that they would be shunned by their Christian community. And that's sad to me, but uh, I think it's changing. And um, uh, you don't want to go into that willy-nilly because medication does affect you from head to toe. And you want to do that definitely talking to a professional that knows what they're talking about. Um, but I think in some cases medication is, is, is necessary. And so how do the two fit together is part B of that question. How does counseling, counseling coping therapy through yeah. counseling and coping therapy through medicine? I, I think yeah. what the, the, the line is getting to is you can just kind of go to any doctor these days and get medicine yeah. and skip the cognitive. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think with anxiety and depression, my answer is going to be slightly different. Because since I've already said that, I think anxiety is, is, is almost 100% perception-based. Okay? Well, we can't deal with your perceptions with a pill. I mean, I can, I, can, I can get you on a plane. If you're a flight phobic, I can get you to New York with, with a pill. Four hours later, it'll be out of your system, and you didn't waste 10 hours in my office trying to work on flight phobia. Um, but what happens the next time you need a flight? You know, um, so with anxiety, counseling and therapy sort of stuff is very helpful. Uh, medicine is only short term for sure. Uh, we need to deal with the problem, the perception problem. Sometimes with depression, and we're going to get into this next week. Sometimes with depression, uh, that can be medic- more medically based for sure than anxiety. Um, and sometimes um, sitting on the couch and talking about it and, and, and following step one through three just doesn't help people's depression completely the combination of dealing with the medical issue and dealing with what got you there cognitively is the gold standard um, and I, I, i'm very thankful for you very thankful for you were you done yeah uh, that was helpful for me cool and i believe god was gracious in that i mean got a million questions for you um, how has COVID changed the game? How does American perception, uh, how does that mess with mental health as opposed to other nations? Um, how do we uproot and kill the cause of uh, social media, porn, all the stuff that's going on with that? What's the difference between nature and nurture? Um, mm. What is the difference between long-term and short-term? All of these mm. you'll just have to answer next week. Yeah. Those sound good, like good ones. <laughs> we'll give you time to study that. Um, was that helpful for you guys? Has this been profitable? Okay. Good. good. All right.